Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Bannering the Blue Shirts. As always, I'm Tom Merch Jr., and I'm joined by my co-host, Mike Murphy. Mike, I would say, how are you? But it's like, one thing I've been noticing is as I've been checking in with my friends and family during this time, it's like, how are you is such a... Um, Weighted it's not, question. Yeah, exactly. So, I think I'll just say hi, Mike. Hello. I'm glad to oh, be speaking hi. with you. Hi, Tom. I'm still dealing with how I feel about the fact that you recommended we do a real show this week, which was a good idea because there's a lot to talk about, um, instead of watching Youngblood starring Rob Lowe. Um, but you know what? I'm ready to work past it as your friend and as your your co-host on this podcast. Well, we will get through it. Um, I, th- I think we will. And as much as I wanted to... Uh talk about young blood something i haven't had a chance to to watch yet but i will make it a point to put that on the calendar there is some news to talk about and a lot of it um the first bit of it is something from last week that um i should have taken a look at before we started recording but life happens um and that's leah sanderson um i'm pretty sure everyone's familiar with the whole leah sanderson situation uh was a top prospect of the rangers drafted seventh overall in 2017 um sort of ups and downs between nhl and hartford he leaves the team um at the christmas break holiday break um in in a what was sort of unsanctioned and then he started conducting some interviews in Sweden and how things were going with the Rangers and there's all this speculation um and he gave another interview um last week and he pretty much opened up talking about um what was going on with the Rangers and I have the article up um courtesy of uh Vince at uh Lowhud um where Leah Sanderson says uh, it wasn't something that happened overnight, but it sneaked up on me. I had a hard time. I was injured. Couldn't do anything about it. There were many small things that met it way on me. I started to get into bad habits off the ice. Um, and then it sort of goes into talking how he was, you know, not feeling the greatest, not eating the greatest, sleeping the greatest. He started even taking sleeping pills um, in part to some of the injuries to his feet. And then he was pretty homesick because he's talking about how he was playing video games all night, just waiting for his friends to uh, get up to go to work so he could talk to them. Um, so just a pretty overall um, enlightening, I think, the word to use, where Leas is sort of peeling back the curtain of the things that were going on. Um I'm interested in, in, in your thoughts, Mike, first, and then uh, we can go from there. Yeah, the Leah Anderson um, saga, as it's become the situation with him, is really fascinating. You know, I became, obviously, as someone who's, you know, covers the Rangers, writes about them, watches them, grew up being an intense fan of them, still consider myself a fan of them today, um, obviously. Otherwise, I don't think we'd be doing the show together, Tom. But uh, when... It first became clear that there was something going on in terms of his well-being, um, specifically to mental health. I had a pretty strong reaction on Twitter, and I said, you know, this feels like, you know, it felt inappropriate to 
make assumptions or grill this kid about his mental health, especially because mental health is such a, it's, it's a spectrum, right? It's so hard to define how you feel, what's going on with you. Something like depression or anxiety disorder can kind of come and go. It's brain hormones and the little chemicals in our, in our head are really weird and finicky. And, you know, there's so much about what goes on in the world around us that can impact that. And there's a lot of it is just simply outside of our control. And when it came to light that, you know, Leas was trying to make clear that it wasn't necessarily a mental health thing, you know, people, I remember a couple of people giving me grief about it on Twitter, uh, which is one of the reasons why I'm taking a nice, I, I have a fun rule, Tom. I look at Twitter three times a day now. That's my rule. Um, and looking back at all this, you know, I, and seeing this new update to the story, I can't help but think like, we still don't really know what's going on with Leas. Um, you know, like I didn't want to make it about me and my reaction, but I'm really curious about the story because there's so, so much to unpack here. Uh, the fact that, you know, the story of his feet were so swollen and bruised up that he couldn't get them in his skates. Like, that causes so much concern. It's so alarming, right? It's so, like, that's a failure at the organizational level. One, to not notice it. Two, to not have something in place to monitor those things. Uh, you know, to not, to not address it. To have that situation where this kid feels the pressure. Like, for the love of God, like, can't we do a little bit better for these players? Um... That was something that's really stuck with me, you know, and it was brought up again in the article by Vince and, and you know, others who have written about this. But the there's a couple little quick hits I'll do because I know I've been rambling for a bit now. Um, no, one, rambling. I really liked that that article made it clear that JD went out of his way to kind of make things right. Um, that to me was like, you know what, it's really hard to say in terms of just strictly hockey operations and the outcome on the ice, what JD's impact is and will be, because frankly, it's way too early in the game, um, you know, as, as the president of the team. But the that he took the path of caring for Leas Anderson, the person, instead of treating Leas Anderson as the organizational asset and just saying, like, this kid wants a trade, so be it. You know, he could have closed the book there or only done his basic due diligence and said he, you know, kind of insisted on connecting with Leas and then that opened up the loan, uh, you know, to the SHL club and that got him back on the ice where he said it was night and day. Like, that to me is like, thank God there's a good person at the head of the ship here with JD. Um, the other thing that I thought was really revealing, and I was actually curious to hear your thoughts on this as well, so I can pass the, uh, the talking stick to you after this, is it, he hasn't even entertained the thought or considered being with the Rangers for next training camp. That, to me... Because, of course, like the big story here is, is Leas Anderson done as a Ranger... And, like, before the story came out, I think most people would say, like, 95% yeah. Um, you know, reading my way through the story, I was like, oh, maybe that's not quite 95%. Maybe that's more, it's more like 70%. But 
the fact that he hasn't really thought about coming back to you know the Rangers organization and being a part of the team's training camp is was really kind of telling to me that something went on that he he didn't want to get into detail about but there was a very negative very negative experience he went through and of course it goes without saying the the details about the sleeping pills was super alarming um i don't know if you've ever have you ever had to take sleeping pills tom nope i've i've never had to so i when i was in my teens i was diagnosed with like they just called it insomnia but it was just like i couldn't sleep um and so i was on ambien which is a pretty potent sleeping pill um I was also on, I think, something else. I f- forget what it is. Not Lunesta. I don't know. Anyway, um, you know, I, I share this story just to make it clear. Like, when I was on Ambien, I didn't get real sleep. It was like you got knocked out. And I also sleepwalked. I remember I once, like, walked into a bookshelf um, in the middle of the night and terrified my family. And, like, it's a really weird thing to need that. But I needed it because I just couldn't shut my brain down and you know reading Lisa's quotes that the feeling I got was like oh man this this kid just had a nightmare experience again and I'm I'm I've always been at this point but I'm very clearly at the point where like I just want him to be happy would it suck for the Rangers that a seventh overall pick amounts to I don't know what they could get for a return for him to me, that's just like the secondary story now. The, the primary story is making sure this kid is happy, healthy, and that hockey is something he still wants to do. Because, I don't know, it seems like that's not, that's not for sure that hockey is what he wants to do with his life. Yeah, primarily it's Leas the person first, um, Leas the player second, and... I think it's a situation where what he went through in some way was traumatic to the point that he's just a kid and going through everything, whether it's the being away from home, being away from friends, being in a new environment with new pressures and new uh, expectations and everything that comes along with that. It, it, it was clearly a lot. And I think we've seen now that he's sort of opening up and he's, um, in a sense, he is trying to take ownership of the situation to, in my mind, sort of say, here, here's what was going on. Um, you know, th- things could have been handled better, you know, on my part, uh, in a sense that he wants to give off the impression that he's not just trying to deflect blame or anything like that because if he wants to continue to um, you know be a professional hockey player at the NHL level I would assume that teams are wanting to know okay if we we take this guy on he's gonna be a fit and he's you know going to be able to um, take direction and all that sort of thing so I, I took it. Um, some of his comments in that respect that he's trying to sort of peel back the curtain on what was going on, also recognizing some things. Um, I I also think 
it was good, like you mentioned. JD's just sort of taking this approach of trying to mend fences, trying to be there and be supportive, um, and really extending that off ranch. And I personally think that Leas is done as a ranger just because you want to give him a clean break um, and give him a new environment where he can do his own thing. And you wouldn't want to maybe put him in an environment where there might be other players who take uh, issue with how he handled things. And then it just creates a lot of chaos and it, it, it just makes things messy. But I'm certainly glad to hear that he's doing a little bit better. I know that we've seen like posts on Instagram of him sort of smiling and stuff like that and interacting with family and friends and things. And I know he's given interviews where he, he sort of looked like he was enjoying hockey again. He was playing productive um, before the the season was ended because yeah. of you know COVID. So I think going forward... It's going to be interesting because with everything on pause, he's something that he's not even on the back burner. He's he's not even he's not even in the kitchen right now. It's just out of sight, out of mind, because there are so many other things that the Rangers are going to have to deal with. But um, cer- certainly good, I would say, to have some more information of what was going on, and I'm just sort of certain that maybe there's more to come because I know that he had like there's hinted at be. yeah because he had hinted at things but he I'll tell my story later sort of thing but what I took from this is like that there's that there's still more because it's like you said there's things that probably the Rangers should have noticed or the wolf pack whatever like you know the, the swelling of his feet but um, I guess it stay goes tuned. a lot deeper than a kid quitting on a team, which is a take that yeah. I saw a lot of at the time um, when this first developed. And I know people might say, well, oh, um, things obviously have changed since then. But it goes to that whole thing. Well, you think there might be you might want to ask questions about why something is happening before you like immediately just say this kid's a quitter. Or I feel like poor Leas has had, you know, he's had all this pressure on him, you know, with throwing the medal and goddamn everything else, like, there's all this extra attention, like, questions about his character, like, his whole thing is he's supposed to be a character guy, and all these things, like, oh, he walked away from a team, he's throwing a medal, bop, 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 and at the end, that's a, this is a, a guy in his very, very early 20s, he's, you know, a couple years away from being a teenager, um, you know, Swedish kid in New York, and you know, Connecticut, trying to make it work and follow his dream. And uh, he hit a bunch of roadblocks. And a lot of them, you know, it's it seems like he was taking responsibility for some of the things like, you know, he caused some of his problems or at the very least exacerbated them. But all that also points to a little more guidance would be great um, for these guys to help them, especially with making it clear like, yeah, you know, this is your job to play hockey, but it goes without saying that you can't really play hockey unless you're taking care of yourself, unless you have that structure, um, those things you need. You have all the resources and support you need from the organization, and every which way you cut it, the impression I get is that he wasn't getting that. And for an organization that's about to turn 
and then you know as most of the way through it's this big crop rotation to bring on this new wave of kids and all these young players to to lead the team and you have all these veterans leaving the team um which ties into something we'll talk about in a little bit but don't you want to have something there to help these kids because it feels like there wasn't enough there for Leah Anderson and this guy was just the seventh overall blankety blank pick yeah and it's such not a, even just such him a failure well yeah because then it also begs the question of I mean obviously it's a different situation because he had the out clause but just remember all the reaction to um Kraftsoff going back to the KHL and the questions of his uh not so much his character, but his maturity and all of that. And lo and behold, we see what he's doing over in Russia um, for, you know, his community, um, you know, during the COVID crisis, you know, shopping for the elderly and getting them medicine and other essentials. And, you know, it's, you just, sometimes I think we, um, we overreact quickly. Um, I think it's, it's almost like whenever news happens, it's it's not always like be the person to have like the first take, but yeah. just to have a take because if you really don't have an opinion, it's almost like um, you're just going with the flow or or, or whatever. But I or think at least make sure to you know add a caveat like if this is just if there's nothing else going on, this seems like this 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 you know like right. even. In my case, like I was like, this seems like a problematic thing, uh, you know, with kind of guessing at what's going on with someone's mental health or disclosing it. You know, I think I was worried about whether or not his mental, what he was going through with his mental health was disclosed with or without his consent at the time. Um, but like I left my tweet up about that for a reason, which is because we learned more and I didn't want to be one of those people who's like, yeah, I was a little off base with something. I, I thought it was better to be like my point was still valid but like we need to understand that this is a, a human being <laughs> like um, and your point about Kravstoff is great too because it's he obviously went through his own struggles and you know I think there is you know a lot of the the success we see, we've seen from young players with the Rangers you know strictly the Rangers and not Hartford necessarily but then of course you know you have someone like Joey Keane, who was playing lights out, and then uh, traded him. Um, and, you know, I just hope there's, if this is an opportunity for the organization to kind of reflect on what went on there um, and to do an internal inv- investigation, even if they don't label it as such, to figure out, like, hey, Hartford, you know, coaching staff, hey, Drury, hey, everybody, hey, player development people. Hey, skills coaches. Hey, trainers. What the hell went on with Leas Anderson? And if if nothing else, let's take this as something to learn from. And then, of course, the even bigger priority is to do right by Elias and to do whatever you can to hopefully, you know, recoup some ac- some you know assets. Uh, but to me, that's not the story. The story, of course, is Leas Anderson, the person. Yeah. Um, I think if anything, it's a learning lesson that things often are more than they appear on the surface. And 
I think it's a good point what you mentioned. Like you had an opinion, um, you know, you're standing by your opinion, and it's something that it's a lot of people could just easily delete something um, or be like, oh, you know, I was taken out of context or something that effect. Um, but it's something to look at, remember, learn from, and Players first, athlete second. Exactly that, and again, it's people. people first, I mean, yeah. Well, yeah, people first. Yeah, it, and it's tough at times because it's, you look at everything through the lens of, oh man, this player has got X amount of points, and this is what their cap hit is, or you know, it, it's like the conversation that we've had, um, like ad nauseum with Mark Stahl. Like we criticize his play, we're not overlooking Mark Stahl, the person who's been. A really great ranger for you know the totality of his career but looking at the uh you know what he's become and it's not a slight of him you can criticize a player um but you're not really you know criticizing the uh the person when i spoke to kevin shattenkirk uh last summer uh, when he's holding his charity event for the jam cancer and the can foundation um because again cancer still sucks a lot um, you know, I went there to cover it for banter, and I know Tom, you helped as well covering uh, what that foundation's been able to do. And you know, I spoke to him about what it meant to him for for Brennan Smith to show up. Like that was the other teammate that showed up um, for the event, and he just said, like, he's not surprised. Um, that's just who Brennan Smith is. And you know, I you know mentioned like is it means a lot, you know, to have one of your teammates kind of step up for something like this. And he was like, absolutely. You know, it means, it means everything. And of course, you know, I asked that question, you know, knowing that, you know, at the time, little did I know that it would be Kevin Shattenkirk who was bought out. I was under the assumption that Brendan Smith might be, might be gone. But very shortly after I interviewed uh, Shatty about that, the Rangers chose to buy him out. And, you know, that experience and of course what we heard from Kevin Shattenkirk's own experience with New York it made me think a lot Tom about how we treat these players and how so often we think of them as entertainers first and people second and that is I think a a serious problem that fans and the media need to think about a little bit more Um, they're not just moving pictures on your TV uh, you know, they're not just guys on your fantasy hockey team. You know, these are people. And a lot of times, you know, they go through things like, you know, kids who are 20 years old, they get a concussion. And you're frustrated that they're not scoring points. Meanwhile, you know, their the brain just hit the inside of their, their skull and they're 20 years old. Like, a little bit more empathy might be a good thing. I 100% agree. Um, before we get to our, uh, next topic, now is a good spot to, uh, pause for, uh, an ad break. So we will, uh, be right back.
And just like that, we are back from the break. Um, I think the next topic we want to go into, it's just sort of... Are you a jewelry man, Tom? Do you wear any jewelry? Uh, yeah, I have a, a gold cross, which I got for um, my first communion. Uh, so that was 20 years ago. So I, that's the only jewelry I have. That and, like, watches. I'm a heathen. I never had communion. It's okay. I never, went, I never went to CCD, any of those things. My parents, actually, I think, you know, I have five brothers, so there's six boys. My family didn't even bother to baptize my little brother. They were just tired of it. <laughs> I, I can't say I disagree. If he dies and he goes to limbo, whatever. Um, but no, the reason I thought of that is all the, the hand-washing. I would imagine people with with covered in jewelry uh, like Adam Sandler's character from Uncut Gems <laughs> just like with the rings it's like it just seems like extra work now I like a good watch but I can't sleep with a watch on but I don't know anyone who does sleep with a watch on yeah I mean I sometimes sleep um, with my Apple watch um, because it's different. Yeah. yeah it's not as obtrusive and um like, but yeah, like, I th- like I know people who sleep with Fitbits or any like sort of sleep trackers. But yeah, I mean, if anything, I guess the jewelry you're wearing will be extremely clean. I remember when I was in like junior high, I had like a Casio G-Shock, and you know, it's, it's a waterproof watch that, you know, it still works. I think I still have it, but like I wore it, and I remember I was wearing it in the summer because like it was you can go under, you know, it's waterproof. You can swim with it. And then, like, I remember I slept with it for, I think, like, a week during school. And then I remember I took it off, <laughs> like, one of the times when I was, you know, I was, like, 12 or 13, and I went to shower, and, like, the skin underneath my watch was really white and soft, and it smelled like metal. And I was like, this can't be good. Um, anyway, that was a disgusting detail that no one needed, but it just popped up into my brain. It is perfectly all right. Um, you had a thought. You wanted to share it. You know. Yeah. Should we hear the breaking news that might have happened while we were recording here? Yeah. So before we get to the, the topic, um, there was a tweet from Sportsnet um, based on a uh, an Associated Press report source that it's reportedly quite likely that the AHL will cancel the remainder of the season because of the pandemic. Uh, a person with direct knowledge of discussions tells the Associated Press. It'll like quite likely cancel the season. The person spoke to the AP on Monday on the condition of anonymity because the person is not authorized to discuss the plans of the NHL's top minor league. The AHL responded by saying there's nothing imminent in terms of calling off the remainder of the season. So, I like everything. Take it with a grain of salt. But I know that I was listening to... I want to say it was last week's 31 Thoughts um, podcast, which pretty much had a lot of um, information, and there were a couple of guest interviews. But one of the talking points they had mentioned um, was how the AHL is in a... um, They're in sort of a tough spot because, like, if the NHL, the NFL, MLB, NBA, they kind of have the availability to resume play without fans 
But a league like the AHL, if they're playing without fans, that's really impacting their revenue. Um, and if they're unable to play without fans, I'm more so talking like not the conclusion of this season, but you know, if the delay, if next season is delayed, that could present a real problem for the NHL, especially when you consider, you know, drafted prospects and things of that nature, where if you have the top developmental league, uh, in the world shut down, um, that could be pretty problematic for NHL teams that are looking to uh, evaluate their their top talent. But are you actually surprised? Like, if they end up canceling the rest of the season, because I'm not really surprised. I'm not really surprised either. Just given what's gone on in the world um, since this has all started, and how I think there's so much chaos about like when when does life go back to normal? And some people are like, I want it normal now, and you know. Some places like Georgia are acting a little too hastily, um, and Las Vegas, for fuck's sake. Um, but looking at all that and considering the season, now the point you made about like the revenue from games is a big one. Like the AHL is, I think, even more so than the NHL. I'm sure they'd like to finish their season, get as much money as they can, um, especially the playoffs. But the you know, looking at it right now, you know, the AHL is kind of goofy in, in terms of the uh, teams in the Pacific Division play 68 games. The rest of the league, I think it's 76, right, Tom? So it's not 82, but most, the teams not in the Pacific Division, most of them still have, you know, around at least 15 games left to go. And uh, yeah, I'm not surprised. It's, it's not a bad call to make at this point. It's, uh, you know, you have to put the safety of players and fans first. And we're nowhere near it being a safe enough environment to do that. We just, we're nowhere near that point. Yeah. And like anything, it's just, um, you got to do it right. Because if you hastily walk into something and then more people start getting sick or, players start getting sick then you're just shutting everything down again um so we'll certainly um fucking up yeah i know like i know some people are saying this might be the end of movie theaters like and i don't think so the end of a lot of things but the you know small businesses and certain businesses like i'm not sure movie theaters are going to completely go bye-bye but you know the the whole point like the reason i brought that up is this is unprecedented it's incredibly hard for businesses to deal with this and it's incredibly hard for individuals to deal with this and you know we say it all the time at the end of all these shows but we hope everyone who's listening is hanging in there everyone you love and care about everyone in your life is healthy taking care of themselves be responsible all those things you know wash your hands social distancing the more we do that as a collective the faster we get through this and more importantly the fewer people we lose to this and that number is going up way too much, especially in this country, which is supposed to not allow things like that to happen. Um, that's as political as I'll get for now. But I'm not surprised that this is might be the first step towards us getting an idea of what the hell happens with this season. Is this what goes on with the AHL? I feel like it's the right call. Um, you know, I still honestly 
more or less, I feel like the right call for the NHL is to say it's we're going to do the rollback idea. I didn't dislike the rollback idea at all. Was it 68 games, Tom? Was the rollback? I yeah, I believe it was 68. And then go straight to only if it's safe and responsible and all those things. Then you go to the playoffs and you do whatever the hell you need to do. Three game series, I don't care. Um, one game series, whatever. Um, but like the other option is you just don't have a Stanley Cup final and you don't have a Stanley Cup and you you accept the fact that you're going to lose all of that revenue and that is something that no one in the NHL wants to do um, but guess what no one wants any of this to go on so it sucks for everyone across the board I'm not sure I'm not sure it's going to stop sucking anytime soon yeah we're not sure if it's going to start or stop sucking anytime soon, but the NHL um, is looking into a proposal which would see potentially four host cities, um, ideally one for each division, pretty much um, be used for the rest of the regular season and playoffs in, in a scenario where you could theoretically have buildings host multiple games um, per day to get out the balance of the um, the season and then get the start of the playoffs. So Gary Bettman, um, this is via TSN, his requirements for host cities are the location could be anywhere besides a COVID hotspot. We need a lot of ice. There does need to be practice facilities. We need four NHL caliber locker rooms because if you're going to play three games in one day, you've got to be moving things around and you've got to make sure we're taking the proper sanitizing procedures. Um, they have a running list of up to 10 cities that could potentially host and locations were like um, St. Paul, Minnesota and Raleigh, North Carolina have been um, listed as possibilities. The Coyotes, well, yeah. mm -hmm. the Coyotes have expressed interest. Columbus could make a lot of sense because they have a um, practice facility, which is state of the art, actually attached to their arena. So, literally, you know, you're, you're setting up there, and you don't have to have like a lot of cross contamination if you're trying to keep people on like one central campus. Um, and then TSN also listed Edmonton, Toronto, Pittsburgh, and Dallas as other potential um, locations. Um, I know we've talked a lot about like if it's even going to happen or if it's worth looking for um, trying to make this happen, but out of all of the proposals, I would say that this four-city plan kind of makes the most sense. I mean, I don't know what your thoughts are on, on this. It makes some sense, but it also reminds me of the Hunger Games. So, you know, it's like breaking it down. All right, one arena, and we'll just keep it clean for each district, and hope everything goes right, and we hope we take the proper measures for cleaning the locker room and spraying Lysol everywhere, and it's like, okay, is this what's important right now i don't know um again that's big picture mike mike who misses hockey and is playing way too much stardew valley and animal crossing says yes i want hockey um 
it would be very nice to have a hockey. Even bubble hockey. Give me bubble hockey. But then again, you have to be close to somebody. You can't do bubble hockey. Chris Crowder is going to play hockey for the Rangers in the video game world. Tom. Yeah, that's that's a good thing that we can also mention that they're having, you know, like an NHL 20 tournament. Um, we I think it was last week, Alex Ovechkin played uh, Wayne Gretzky and they raised they raised a good amount of money for charity. That was cool. Um, you know what the better idea would have been? Is you do five on five with no line changes and you play the game mode where it's you control fuck, you could do six on six. Oh, one player for each like yeah. game player. And each team has to have players play as themselves. Oh. And so you have to see them communicate. Like, put a camera on them, watch them communicate, watch them play, like, as a unit with tactics and everything. Make it extra fun. Make it even more exciting because they have to play as themselves. They don't, you know, I'm sure it's going to be like, I'm going to play as Connor because uh, he's fast. Haha. As opposed to, like, you know, listening to Adam Fox be like, why did they rate my speed so shitty? That's what <laughs> I want. Like, that's, or better yet, like, telling Igor Shosturkin or, you know, Georgie, because I would imagine it would be them and not Hank playing video games. And, you know, try to, uh, to communicate with them about playing goal. Because have you ever tried to play goal in I have. NHL? Yeah, oh my it's, God. it can be fun. It can be chaotic. Um, I would do it a couple summers with my brother. We would just do ESHL and... Uh, Interesting whenever times. Online, whenever I played online, it either went pretty well or it was a disaster. No in between. There was never an in between. It was I never had a great game. I never had an okay game. It was either like I allowed two goals on nineteen shots, or like you know in a crazier game, three goals on like forty shots. All or nothing. Yeah, or it was I allowed like seven goals on sixteen shots, and I. Like, went to bed crying my little eyes out at an age that it's not appropriate to cry about video games. But uh, that's what I want. I, I want the NHL to do that. But the Rangers, a lot of teams had two guys. I think the Rangers were one of a handful that only had one guy. All the young guys on this team, you can't find a couple more guys to play a goddamn video game? Yeah, seriously. There's uh, It's a bummer, man. So, there's one more thing I want to ask you about. Or you could do the three-on-three thing, too. Sorry to keep cutting you off. No, you could no, also no, that's fine. Threes, NHL threes, whatever the hell it's called. Yeah, that that would actually be fun, too, because I guess, theoretically, you should be able to find um, You got to find three guys. Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, before we get to our last topic... Yeah, our um, last big, meaty topic. Yeah, we're, I'm sure we're going to have a lot of thoughts. Um, so... Kurt Overhart is one of the um, one of the more notable player agents. Um, I'm looking at Puckpedia.com, and they have an agent leaderboard, which pretty much looks at the amount of active contracts, the, the value of those contracts. So um, he's ranked number four with, um, in terms of uh, AAV of active contracts, it's 106. Million two hundred seventy-two five hundred fifty-one thousand. So he's behind um, J.P. Barry of CAA Sports, uh, Craig Oster of Newport Sports, and Pat Brusson uh, of CAA. So um, and Kurt has his his own agency. So um, 
he represents for the Rangers, Jacob Truba um, and Jesper Faust. Um, some of his other big clients are Ryan Johansson, Ryan Kessler, uh, and John Gibson, uh, Kyle Turris, um, among others. Um, but the reason I'm, all, I'm telling you this is he released uh, an article today on his agency's website. Um, and it's it was called an opportunity to increase the competitive landscape in the NHL, and the long and short of it is, he talks about hockey related revenue and how the players and owners currently have a fifty fifty split, which is down from the fifty seven fifty fifty seven uh, forty three split that they uh, had before the um, the last CBA. And then he breaks out, well, you have in that contract, employer tax, medical, dental, buyouts, um, long-term injury contracts, all of these other things, which are pretty much like 6% deductions. So the player share then becomes around 44%. Um, and then he looks at some historical data of, you know, here's the average franchise value of an MLB team in 2000. And here is it is in 2020. And he does that for MLB, NBA, NFL, and then the NHL. He then also looks at, okay, here were the highest paid players in the 99-2000 season. In the NBA, it was Shaquille O'Neal, $17.1 million. In the NFL, it was Troy Aikman, $10.7 million. In MLB, it was Albert Bell, $11.9 million. And then in the NHL, it was uh, Yaramir Yager at $10.4 million. So you fast forward to now, highest contract in the NBA is James Harden, $42.7 million a year. NFL, Russell Wilson, $35 million a year. Mike Trout, $35.5 million a year. And then Connor McDavid, $12.5 million a year. So while all these other leagues have seen um, triple-digit growth in the last 20 years, the NHL has only seen a growth of uh, 20%. So I know I said a lot of words. I know I a lot of math, all that stuff, things that you know doesn't really help you if you're listening. It's a lot easier if you're reading. But I'll retweet the article so that you can check this out for yourself but his suggestion is in a way to stimulate hockey related revenue there should be this exception player rule which pretty much allows an nhl team to pick someone from their roster and they simply don't count against the salary cap and the thought being is that if you don't have that person count against your salary cap um, it allows for you to spend maybe on someone else inject some more money in um, and then there's also this option if say not every team wants to opt in for whatever reason the teams that did so the haves in this in scenario the ones the richer teams the rangers the leafs the uh, montreal canadians if they were to have this exception player they would be paying um, pretty much like a luxury tax and that money would then go into a pot and then it's pretty much increasing revenue sharing. So I think it's an interesting scenario. Um, I definitely could see as the NHL um, CBA is coming up 
trying to push towards uh, a scenario where we no longer have a hard salary cap because it just feels like you look at every year, it's like, oh man, the salary cap might go up 2 million. And oh man, I'm the, the top player in my sport and I'm making 12.5 million. Like that's something that like a fourth or fifth starter in the, in the major leagues can, can earn. And here, here's what we're paying our best of the best NHL players. Um, so my question to you, Mike is, do you see like, because of COVID and the potential of loss to revenue, the, the league entertaining something like this or trying to look at something in the CBA to sort of rework the economics of the league? Maybe. Um, you know, I know there's already there's already a lot of things in place like revenue sharing. I think like the reason the hard cap was put in place was to get away from the part. Part of the reason, of course, is to get away from the haves and have nots. And introducing this, I think, is the idea of this kind of middle ground of like, okay, well, let's allow it for one player. Let's have it so that, let's say, you know, for the Oilers, uh, they they want to pay Connor McDavid what he's worth. And he's worth, you know, I don't know, maybe twice as much as his cap hit um, based on how good he is. And, you know, for the Rangers, you know, Panarin, like taking that contract off the books and like so turning that into a luxury tax to offer more of that support to other teams like the first thing that comes to mind of course is all of the like weird street magic we've seen of teams especially Toronto like doing everything they can to avoid you know these bad contracts like this this kung fu, you know, matrix level kung fu, of trying to get whatever they can do to weasel out of contracts and bad contracts, you know, putting guys in the LTIR, trading guys who will never play again, um, everything, you know, trading. We've seen trades just for the purpose of another team buying a player out, and like you have to ask, like, is this is this better, or is it maybe better to allow the teams that can afford to spend to spend? And then you make it so that in order to in order for them to practice that luxury and to, you know, take take that privilege and turn it into, you know, no cap hit for someone like a McDavid or a Panarin. Uh, they have to put money into the pockets of teams like Arizona and New Jersey and Ottawa and Buffalo and especially Buffalo right now, which is just bleeding. Um, but I don't know, buddy. I want to see the math. Like, that's my big thing is I didn't get to read this article. I, you know, I, I think I told you I went to read it and then it had gotten the hug of death from, uh, from Twitter. Um, and I, you know, it was meaning, you know, the sites, uh, overloaded. Service, yeah. Overloaded. I couldn't, couldn't get to the story. And, uh, I'm really intrigued by the, by the idea. And I definitely do think that, you know, there's a lot to learn from what's happened with, you know, the, the COVID pandemic. And I hope, the NHL looks at everything they can learn from this. Um, like, do we need a season that's 82 games long? Do we need, uh, you know, all these other things that have, you know, proven to complicate and not to get rid of them because, you know, as these safeguards for another pandemic, you know, heaven forbid, but more as a, an opportunity to look at like, all right, well, 
how can we maximize what we're making? The other part of this, of course, is, you know, hockey is, you know, the run to the litter in terms of the the major sports in North America, or specifically, I should say, in the States, because hockey is still king in Canada. But it's, it's not enough. Like, you know, players in the NFL, especially NBA, MLB, they can make more because their sports make more as the, the really simple view of it and looking at hockey it's you know looking back at like when you know Yager was making 11 million a year and you know of course like the Bobby Holy contract comes to mind and then you hear about James Harden making what was it 42 million Tom yeah it's 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 40 I just closed the tab it was like 42 point something sure why not um <laughs> like I would love if that was the case. I'd also love, you know, if hockey had enough popularity for, you know, women's hockey, for players to get paid a living wage, um, all those things. I don't, you know, I don't know if we're there yet uh, for specifically NHL contracts rivaling other contracts. And, you know, I think the NHL's focus, it's safe to say, over the last couple of years has been expansion, right? So what they do in terms of this idea, I hope they look at it, just like I hope they look at all ideas, especially ideas that are worthwhile. Can this be... The other thing is, it would be nice for, you know, for that incentive to be in place as this, the catch-22 that always fascinates me, which is like, Connor McDavid, you have to pay him whatever he wants, Tom. Um, but when you do pay Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, whatever they want, you have to live with the reality that you can only afford so many fuck-ups with the rest of your contracts. Because if you have too many, then your team will never get past having a, you know one line, never become a true playoff competitor. And then you'll take this guy who's so essential to the value and the worth of the franchise, the culture of the team, the fans, everything, that he'll want to go somewhere else. And I think this might be a way to, to combat that problem. Um, you know, it won't do a lot for cases of someone like Panarin who's just like Columbus thanks um I'm out you know <laughs> like there there will always be cases of guys who want to go elsewhere but it's it's a lot like I said I want to see the math so the last topic of the show um involves Matt Zuccarello and most uh, pe- yeah I know so uh, Matt Zuccarello Give an interview um, with uh, a Norwegian tabloid, um, and he's pretty much talking about his departure from the team and how he perceives the organization is treating um, Henrik Lundqvist, and it's um, not all great. And you know, obviously, time can heal all wounds, but he. Um, he didn't see himself ever getting traded. Um, he was quoted as saying, I never thought it would happen to me. I was about to end my career with the Rangers. Um, I think Hank would too. Everything was going to be fine and great, but then the management decides and then you are not worth the shit. Um, yeah. So I I can understand where Zuccarello is coming from, but I want your opinion first. Um because I think I have a lot to say and I don't want to potentially sure. steal anything that you might mention. 
the big takeaway I had is it's it was just sad the article um, I know some would say like you know what did Zuccarello expect um, you know it's and I know a lot of people point to the fact that uh, David Quinn ne- didn't necessarily make every effort to make the connection he made with Zuccarello that he went out of his way to make with some other players including Hank um, before he took over the reins in his first season. And, you know, looking at what Z- Matt Zuccarello's path to the Rangers, um, the injury he underwent, what he means to the team, what he's meant to the fans, I don't blame him for being hurt by the way things went because this one hurt me really bad. I pride myself on not being too emotionally invested in what happens with the team, but... This was not a normal, like, this This wasn't, like, not to diminish Derek Stepan, but like, this didn't feel like the Derek Stepan trait. This felt like a lot more. This felt like tearing away part of your soul. Um, and the way he, like, you know, again, it was through Google Translate and everything else, but the way he described it, like you said, you know, everything was going, going to be fine and great, but then the management decides, and then you're not worth shit. It just, it's such a kick in the pants to realize, like, this guy loved the city and the team just as much as it loved him. And part of the reason why he went to Minnesota um, as a free agent, and it was also interesting to me that, you know, given his age, you know, a lot of people said, you know, he's kind of overpaid, and I certainly wouldn't have given Zuccarello that contract if I was Minnesota, especially a team that was not the right not the right average age to be picking up a player of that age in free agency. But, you know, he said any team can win the cup in five years. Minnesota's a hockey mecca. And he also said, you know, he didn't want to be in a scenario where he was playing the Rangers too much because it hurt. And we we all know what Henrik Lundqvist's reaction was, Tom. Um, but, of course, the, the meatiest part of this story to me, uh, you know, as someone who, you know, wishes he could you know, interview Zook and interview the Rangers locker room about this is that he went out of his way to say that the way the organization is treating Henrik Lundqvist is not acceptable. It's not right that this is happening to Henrik Lundqvist. And he's not the only one to feel that way, but to, for him to say it, like, there's there's nothing, you know, obviously their friendship is well documented, but the that he went out of his way to say, like, this is really shitty what's happening to Hank even though, you know, he also acknowledges how good Shesterkin is and that they need starts, but, you know, when Shesterkin went down, it was it was Georgiev's crease, and that was kind of fucked up, that Hank just didn't get the opportunity, and that this is likely the end of Lundqvist's time in New York is, this is just such a sad, sad final chapter. And that was the meatiest part of this to me, is the, you know, this commentary from someone who cared so much about the team and and the city and being like it's just sad and it you can't help but be sad you know but anyway i'll let you i'll let you pick up the ball now buddy so i look at zucarello's comments as someone who was hurt because i almost feel like he was caught off guard um i look at zucarello's tenure with the team Uh, he's someone that they they signed way back when 
is is someone who you know he played in, in the um, Vancouver Olympics, and he comes over to North America, and he he's playing in the the minors um, with the the Connecticut Whale. He looks pretty impressive down there. And then he spends, you know, 42 games with the team in his first year and his 23 points. And then for whatever reason, um, you know, Tortorella didn't seem to have a use for him. And he spends the majority of the season in the minors with the whale, putting up nearly a point per game. And then Zuccarello leaves because clearly he didn't see uh, an opportunity for him at that point. And he could have been gone for good. He, and he surprisingly comes back. He plays good. Um, Tortorella is fired. And then uh, his his first year, it's sort of this new environment under Elaine Vigneault. Has the best season of his career. And it started a trend of him being like the Rangers' leading scorer like for the next you know six or so years. Um, and he's someone that he... Almost was traded by the Rangers when his contract was up. I can remember it was looking like they were going to trade him. And he signs um, a deal, I think it was like March 2nd. Um, he was either the day of the deadline or the day before the deadline. Yeah, sweetheart deal. Yeah, so he signed a really, really good contract um, that helped the team out. And he continued to be a productive player. And I just think of everything he went through after taking um, the... The shot inadvertently from Ryan McDonough um, where he had to relearn how to talk and all of those things um, as someone who he, he we, we talk a lot of people who bleed for the team like he bled for the team yeah um, and then I can understand him being understandably hurt that he was um, one of the leaders of the team, one of the, the franchise favorite players. And when David Quinn is doing his uh, trip through Europe, not visiting him, I, I can understand him feeling um, slighted. Um, so I can understand Zuccarello, who gave it his all, and he probably wanted to end his career with the Rangers. And I really will be interested to, to see if we ever find out what, negotiations there were if any because it just seems to me that in recent memory it's once the franchise sort of decides that they're done with a player that's it because we look at like Kevin Hayes for example it was a one-year deal and then he ends up getting traded um you know McDonough was a year out and a year and a few months out from becoming a, a free agent and you know, they, they made that move ahead of time. Obviously you see the Zuccarello trade and, and all of that. Um, but like I think that like the whole him like because you, you made a good point of it like he made the priority to get the term but like I wouldn't read in too much to the oh you know I signed somewhere where I wouldn't have to play you know at MSG um, like I was at the game um, when he made his return to the garden and like you know the reaction they gave him and you know he was clearly emotional and, and, and really touched by it so to lose that 
it would probably be tough to like have to come back for that and not be playing for the team. But I don't I don't begrudge him for how he's acted. Um, I agree with his point of view with uh, how the team has treated Lundqvist because they clearly botched the situation. And I understand the concept of, oh, you know, no player is above the team. But you should just look at everything Henrik Lundqvist has done for the organization. Um, there's been no more important player over the last 15 years than Henrik Lundqvist. And everything that he's done and what he's enabled this franchise to do, um, bringing it to heights that it hadn't reached in quite some time. And um, it, it's just, I really hope, if anything, that during this pause, the Rangers are thinking, okay, how are we going to proceed with this? Like, how are we going to um, bring this situation to a conclusion? Um, is Hank done? Is he going to retire? Because, like, if they they fuck up the end of this, it's just going to be <laughs> like a real sour taste for fans. Because they need an exit strategy in a big bad way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's just frustrating because it shouldn't be this difficult. The other thing to me that I took away from this is, you know, we see these articles all the time. I've written them. Is these the best contracts? in the league and really what we mean by that is you know players who are getting underpaid essentially for how good they are and that is why i say this over and over again is i never begrudge players for getting a big contract get what you're worth get as much as you can um because we the bottom line is that it is a business and after your hockey career you're not going to make as much money this is a unique opportunity you know, in their, their lives to make as much money as they can doing something that they excel at that they've worked their asses off to get to. And you never know what can happen in hockey or other professional sports. You can get injured, anything can happen. Right? Like Dustin Bufflin walked away from $14 million or whatever he walked away from. Um, and, you know, there are plenty of other stories where, like, Zuccarello's career very easily could have ended with that shot that hit him in the head from Ryan McDonough. It didn't. He found a way to come back and that story in and of itself is unbelievable and amazing and inspiring but like Zuccarello getting paid is awesome it's it's sad that his career isn't ending with the Rangers but I'm glad he's getting job security I'm glad he's getting a big paycheck because he's worth that kind of money if you think about the sort of player he is the sort of person he is and it's a real tragedy that this organization didn't see him as one of the veterans they could have built around and I understand why that's the sad thing to me is like I get it I know how old he was I get it you know they made their choices of course you know they they extend Chris Kreider um, they they go out and get Artemi Panarin they go for Jacob Truba and you start to see the right the building blocks of this new core and you know, Zuccarello not being a part of it, of course, but I don't know, Tom. It just makes me like, guys, get paid. <laughs> like, go out there, get paid, and I don't think it ever does anyone any good to say, I'm going to take a sweetheart deal um, for my team. Like, I think of, like, Nathan McKinnon right now and how much he's worth and how much he's getting paid. 
And it's crazy. It is crazy to me that there's that much of a disparity. Like, even even on the Rangers, like, Zibanejad, for, for God's sake, like, you know, Zibanejad makes less than he's less than six million a year on the cap. That's crazy. Well, yeah. Just think, like you brought up a good point of all the um, the sweetheart deals. Just look at the ones the Rangers had, like Ryan McDonough, four point seven million. Chris Kreider, four point six two five million. Zook was at four and a Zook half million. Yeah, exactly. Like at one point, Lundqvist was making like six. I think six point three million, and he was the best goalie in the league. Um, so, time and time again, the Rangers have had these players who they're on really good deals that allow them to conduct their business. Which you know it allows them to go out and get a Brad Richards or trade for a Rick Nash or a Marty Sandley or whatever. Um, and I understand that you probably the world does not exist where you can have Matt Zuccarello and Artemi Panarin, although. That's something that would have been very um, fun to watch. I do too. But if it was a communication thing, like he made it sound like he thought everything was going down the right path, it would be really shitty if it was like, yeah, this isn't happening anymore and we're just moving you. Yeah, that was the weird part of this. It, It felt like the organization didn't do enough to make him aware of what was going on, to prepare him for what was going on. And, of course, we know the struggles he went through, you know, leading up to when he got traded, the the rough start he had. Like, sports psychology is a thing for a reason. It's really hard for players to perform when they have that pressure and that, that, you know, that axe blade hanging over their head of, am I gone? Are they going to trade me? You know, where am I going to live? Like, it's... It's asking so much. And I know people say, oh, they're professionals. They get paid millions of dollars. Yeah, but you know what? Like, at the end of the day, this it's still a human, you know, position to put a human being in and to expect them to perform. And this seems like another kind of touches back to the whole Leah situation, right? Like, communicate with your players. Let them, let them know what's going on. Put things in place. Treat players the right way. And I hope that's something that, you know, I'm sure the organization read this article, and I'm sure it's gotten up to JD. And I hope that you know he and others look at what happened here and reflect on, yeah, we can do more to help our players out. You don't want to be the team that has players, you know, after they're retired and there's you know there's no reason for them to to hold their cards anymore. To be like, yeah, the Rangers really fucked me over. You'd like, you know, for players to look back and say like, hey. You know, I had a really special time there. They let me know what was going on, and that's why I'll, I'll always love being a Ranger. That, that's how you build, you know, a culture and an, and an identity as a team, as a franchise that you can be proud of and that will attract free agents and make fans proud and all that crap, right? Especially when you try to hold events where you have old guys playing hockey outside for winter classics and stuff. You don't want to burn too many bridges, Tom. And you don't want to burn bridges with guys who are as great as Matt Zuccarello. Yeah, exactly. Like, um, just like a completely unrelated point, like sport, I'm thinking of sports movies. Did you ever see the movie Mr. 3000? I did with Bernie Mac. So exactly. So like, remember his first retirement ceremony and how like none of his like former teammates really show up. 
Like it's just yeah. one his friend and then like this one fringe guy. Like that's what I think of. You don't want like you said that was outdoor games. Like hey, like you know, twenty years in the future or whatever. Like hey, Matt's um, we're gonna be having like this event. Like we'd love for you to come play for us, and then just be like, no, I will yeah. not play for you anymore. How about a big no? And that would be so sad because you know you hear the garden chant Zook and you're like, yeah, that. That's the real relationship. That's what it should be. And of course, I know it's a business. I know all that crap, but sports is entertainment. And like part of that is I think you want to establish those connections to make people aware of these traditions, aware of these things that like you go, you do the right thing. You like you do right by people. And I don't think the Rangers did right by Matt Zuccarello. And that's a real shame. I agree. And hopefully it's like I said, it's a, uh a learning moment and it's hopefully they use this time to make sure that whatever they do decide to do with Henrik Lundqvist is uh, done in the best possible way. Um, before I read off the name of our lovely patrons, do you have anything else you'd like to say to uh, our viewers and audience? Uh, no, other than remember to send in questions if you have topics or stuff you'd like us to talk about, whatever it is. Don't be shy to send it in over email, over uh, Patreon if you're one of our patrons, or on Twitter. Um, we're trying to make sure we post the uh, the pods up on the site now. Um, you can leave comments, all that stuff. We'll keep an eye out. Yeah, I think we for next week we'll try and have like a bigger mailbag show. Um, we'll make sure that we put out some tweets on that. And I even I didn't even mention this to, to Mike, but we're trying to have a guest for next week. Um, and that what should the be. Hell? Real- yeah, it was, could be really exciting. So um, stay tuned for uh, for details. Uh, and with that, Adam Nahoak, Aiden Gaspar, Amriel Kistner, Andrew Chicago, Andy White, Anthony McHale, Anthony Viola, Arch Williams, Beezer, Ben Pierney, Bjarne Osterheim, Bob Kawa, Bobby Callahan, Captain America, Chris Abibi, Chris Lucas, Chris Marco Trigiano, Clark Carroll, Craig Lachlan, Daniel Jazen, David L. Singer, Enver Leeson, Eric Cohn, Eric Carlson, Fancy Lawrence, Frank Menino, George Littman, Gotham2020, Igor Zavlowski, James Dengels, Jamie Bussell, Jeff Owen, Jermaine Francis, John Prezapelski, John Reppy, Jordan Sassone, Justin Walsh, Keith Funchillo, Kevin Mead, Kushtastic, Kyle Napolitano, Matt Bader, Matthias Olson, Michael Alsante, Michael Kanek, Michael Marcus, Michael Silvers, Nikolai Hoffman, Panarin2020, Patrick Landolt, Perennial Powerhouse, Russ Vent, Sammy Vogel Seidenberg, Sean, Stieg, Bialbach, Stink Fleeman, Tall Guy Rob, The Ninja's Ninja, The Tin Man, Tori from Manhattan, and Trevor Kempner. Thank you uh, again to all of our wonderful patrons. Uh, we appreciate your support. Uh, Mike, thanks for doing the show with me as always. Um, hey. We will uh, be back next week with uh, more fun and excitement. And uh, take care. Wash your hands. And uh, be well and take care of yourselves. Take Bye-bye. off your watch before you shower. Goodbye. <laughs>